Four Points Online. We are so honored that you're with us here today. And if God has used this ministry to change your life, we want to hear about it. So go to fourpoints.org slash mystory and tell us. You know what, it's because of your generosity that we are able to expand the kingdom. If you want to give and be a part of what God's doing here at Four Points, go to our website and choose the safe and secure option. Or you can download our app and give there as well. And now we are so excited about hearing a powerful word from God today. Every July 4th, I got to say this before I get going because it's, uh, it's just something that I do. Every July 4th, I love to, um, my message really isn't about America or July 4th, but I, I still want to say something. Every July 4th, I love to put out that <laughs> um, a Instagram post. So if y'all see it, it's going to be a repeat. But I love to put the in Instagram post back to back World War Champs. <laughs> Come on. Because we undefeated. Y'all can hate. Haters, listen, we're on the same team. I hope y'all know this is America. We're pulling for the same team. I hope. Y'all don't know. George's in the army. I don't know. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but I see a Marine back there. Praise the Lord. I don't know, we got some other ones, but I'm thankful for y'all, and I love America. I'm not preaching truly today, but I did wear, I did wear my America shoes, <laughs> celebrating, it's a celebration, America. So, today, um, I've got a lot to say, and I don't have enough time to say it, so I'm going to be micro-machine talking fast, if y'all don't remember that back in the day, he talks really fast, but we're going to try to get all this out, I'm very excited, but... I love the Bible, and I love to talk about the dudes and the dudettes in the Bible, if y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, I love the men and women of the Bible. I think it's fascinating to study their lives, to see what we can learn from them. And today, um, in Undefeated, I want to talk about David and Solomon. Now, David and Solomon is fascinating because this is the second and third king in Israel. And... David today is celebrated by the Israelites or by the Jewish people. By, by, if you go to Israel, he, he's celebrated far and above the greatest king of all time. But in actuality, that's not true from a historical standpoint. The greatest king, and it ain't even close in the history of the world, is Solomon. And from a historical standpoint, if you get outside of, of the faith and you just want to see history, you're going to see today why that's the case. But but the most important thing today that I want you to know, and if you take something away today, I want you to know this. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Like a lot of people walked in here today and you can't stand where you are in your life right now. You're disappointed in yourself, you're disappointed where your life is, or you thought this. I thought I'd be further along, Pastor, than I currently am. Like if I, if I could just tell you a story of my life, I really thought I would be farther along in this journey. And there's many times that I can look at you and say, yep. I feel you. I know what you're talking about. Like if I was mapping this thing out, we'd, it'd look different. And I'd be farther along and, and, and it, I'd celebrate certain things and great things would happen. And I would have put myself on different pedestals and stuff would happen. But it's not how you start. And some of y'all had great starts in your life and you look now and say, is there any hope? But I've got great news for you. There's always hope if you got air in your lungs. There's always hope. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. And so in Acts chapter 13, this isn't where we're going to go, so don't turn there. Just follow along with me if you want to turn somewhere. 1 Kings chapter 3 is where you can turn. But Acts 13 is kind of where the goal is. It's kind of where the goal is. And it says in verse 21, they asked for a king. This is Paul declaring this to the people. He says they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, and 
a man of the tribe of Benjamin. And we know a lot about Saul that he was a head and shoulder taller than everybody else. He was that dude. Everybody wanted him, but he had pride in his life. And when he had removed him, because of that pride, God raised up David to be their king who we testified and said this. And listen, this is the goal. This is the goal. I found a man after my heart. And most of the time what we say is David was a man after God's own heart. But I don't think you can leave out the last part. I don't think you can leave out the last part because I think this is like the tension. This is the big deal. This is the bomb that goes off in my heart that I have to ask myself this question. Who will do all my will? Because it's great to say I want to be like David and be a man or woman after God's own heart. But you got to do the last part and say who will do all that he wills. This is not a message about behavior at all. This is a message about whose will is in charge. Whose will is in control. Because, because as I talk about these two guys, this is what I want you to picture in your own life. And this is what I want to testify on my own life. Most of the time when it comes to God, here's kind of how the tension goes and this is what we do. We love the ideal. We love what God can bring to the table. And we've got this plan in place. If you're a goal-oriented person, you've got goals that you laid out for your life. If you're not a goal-oriented person, most people who have breath in their lungs don't just want to flounder in their lives. They want to accomplish something. And so here's what we do with God. We say, God, check this out. If you can come to the party, that'd be awesome. Are y'all with me? It's quiet. It'd be really awesome if you could come to the party. So I tell you what, I'm going to give you my heart. Wink. And then if you can just come join me, that'd be really fun. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And that's the danger because that's, that's such, a, a facade, such a lie that we've been fed. And maybe that I fed you. Maybe we've been led to believe that at some point in time. But here's what I really want you to know. The Lord is, isn't interested in all your talent and what you bring to the table. He's interested in one thing. He's interested in your heart. And so... so as I continue this, I, I need you to, to, to lock in with me. This is what the Lord's really been pounding in my heart lately. Huh, play on words, you're welcome. This is what the Lord's really been pounding in my life lately. When I evaluate myself, and I need some of y'all to talk to me, because I really don't want it to be quiet. I feel really awkward up here and naked and stuff, and that's really, we don't want that, everybody. Come on. <clears throat> Have y'all noticed that? That when you get anxious and stressed out in your life, it's almost never, if ever, if ever. I can't ever think of a time that my stresses and my anxieties came from my walk with Jesus. It's what I'm not accomplishing or what I am accomplishing. It's, 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 it's the things that I thought I would do by now. It's the things that people coming against us now. That happens. That's life. If, if, if we think today that that's not going to take place, then we fooled ourselves. We have a bad sense of expectations, and bad expectations lead to problems. In relationships, in life, at our jobs, when we don't have good expectations, we are in trouble. But, but, but when I lean on those expectations or my relationships or anything else above my relationship with the Lord, not what he brings to me, but that love relationship, then something shifts and I get mad at God for what he didn't do for me. Are y'all okay? And I feel like that's the problem is God's not interested in what we accomplish. He's interested in where our heart is. And so let's start with Solomon because he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I've talked about him a few times in church, and just a couple months ago I talked about him, but we're going to dive a scoop deeper today because this dude, y'all, what a fascinating character to study. Now, Solomon started off amazingly well. At 30, he takes over as king, 
And his heart was with God to the point, 1 Kings chapter 3, to the point that it says in Gibeon in the verses before this that he would go up and sacrifice. He made a thousand sacrifices in this place. He loved God. This was not an evil man. This was not a person that was out to get his own thing. As a matter of fact, watch what this says in 1 Kings 3. It says in at Gibeon, where he was making these sacrifices to the Lord to the tune of 1,000, that's a big deal. If I had time, I would love to explain that. But that's, it took a lot of time. It was a lot of energy, and his heart was certainly with the Lord. It says, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night and said, ask whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. Now, I don't know about y'all, but y'all have thought this before, right? I'm not the only one in the room that's had this thought. If the genie came to your life, come on now, don't be quiet. Huh? I know when that Powerball get y'all, I know we're in church, but we need to be honest up in this mug today. Huh? When that Powerball hits half a billion dollars, y'all spend it. I just spilled my water because I got excited. Y'all spend it. Y'all bought an island in the Bahamas. I know y'all because I know me. Come on now. It would be for the Lord. It'd be mission trips and stuff. Come on. Praise God. Praise God. I'd, I'd take people out there. We'd bless them. I'd be on MTV Cribs. I don't even know if they still have that, but since they had it when I was a kid, it's going to be relevant today. Young people, they had that back in the day. Come on, old people. Talk to me. I'd have a house, but it'd be to bless people. Y'all okay? If God came to Mark and said, you can have anything, goodness gracious, it scares me to death. Are y'all Okay. Scares me to death to even think about what I'd ask for. Because here's what we do. We lie to ourselves and say, I do just what Solomon did. You would now. Not really, maybe, but you'd think that you would. He could have asked for anything. Watch what he does. Solomon said, you've shown great steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and upright." of his heart toward you and he sees this he knows this he's got this mindset of I see why it happened and you've kept him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne to this day and now oh God you've made your servant king in place of David my father although I am but a little child and and what he's actually saying is he was 30 but as far as experience goes and some of us can understand what this means let me just tell y'all I've been doing this for a little while now, and I have no idea what I'm doing. Are y'all okay? But five and a half years ago, my gosh. Like, I look back on some of the meetings we had, and I said, why did people stay at our church? Like, it was insane. But I'm thankful for y'all. I see y'all out there. Thank y'all for believing in the Lord and not me. But I know the feeling of you're called to something, and you know what you got to do, but you need some help because you ain't got a clue how to get there. And I, I'm betting that everybody in here that's a professional, and probably our young people in here too, can, can, can relate to this. Are y'all okay? We can relate to the fact that we don't know what we're doing. We got pulled to something that we don't know how to do it, so we need some help. Are y'all awake? Like, God, help me. That's how I felt this morning and many other times in my life. And so he says, you made me the servant, but I don't know what I'm doing because I'm just a child. I don't know how to go out or come in. I don't, I don't know how to make all these decisions. And so he says, verse 8, your servant is in the midst of your own people whom you have chosen. I'm the king. A great people, too many for numbers. I, I can't even count them. 
It's a multitude, he said, of people. Give your servant, therefore, understanding mind to govern the people. He asked for wisdom in this moment. He did not ask for wealth. He did not ask for fame. He did not ask to be the greatest king ever. He simply said, give me a mind that I can understand how to do this job. What an amazing thing to ask for. That, can, that should be celebrated. For who's able to govern your people? And he felt the weight of, of the calling on his life. And he said, I just want to do great for you, God. Can I just hit on that just for one second? That's an awesome thing to feel. But if that is the thing that we feel above all else, listen to me. If doing a great job for the king as a king, as in the kingdom of God, you are kings and queens. You, you, are, you are people that are made to govern. You, that is who you are. And if we tell God, I want to do this great job for you, that, that is to be celebrated. But if that's the thing above all else that we feel, then what happened to Solomon will happen to us. So in the moment, it was amazing. It was awesome how unbelievable that he would ask for this when he could have asked for anything. But you can't miss the, the bigger point in all of this. It pleased the Lord that he asked this. He could have asked me for anything. God said to him, because you've asked for this, and not ask for a long life or riches or to kill all your enemies. But you've asked for discernment is, is, the, is the word literally for wisdom in the Bible. What is right? He said, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you wise discerning mind. I give you that wisdom so that none, and, and this is where we get in the Bible, no one's ever been as wise as Solomon and no one ever will be again. Because God said that will be the case. No one has been like you before or shall be after you. There will never be another Solomon, the Bible says. And then he says, I'm also going to give you what you haven't asked for. So Solomon hit the big time lottery if y'all are okay today. Because he didn't just get the wisdom, he got riches and honor so that no other king shall compare with you in all of your days. And then this is the deal. This is the, verse 14 should be circled, starred, highlighted in every Bible ever because this is the deal. If you walk in my ways and if you keep my statutes and if you keep my commandments as David did. Isn't that interesting because we know how bad David screwed up if, you're in, if you have ever been in church before and if not, I'm going to tell you about it a little bit today. But we immediately think, well, David messed up bad, but that was never the point. The point was his heart. If I have total control of who is the most important in your heart, if the relationship with the Lord trumps everything else and is above all, then I will lengthen your days. I will bless you like we can't even imagine. And so I just want to kind of talk to you for a minute about Solomon's accomplishments because I want you to know who this guy was. I didn't know all this. And I've studied Solomon a lot, but I've dove deep the last couple weeks because I really wanted to know. Y'all, this is stinking amazing. And if y'all don't care, y'all just smile at me and act like you care to make me feel good. I, I did this research on the richest men to ever live. Richest men to ever live. Y'all can find it. Y'all can look it up. This is not a biblical website. This is lots of research. This is actually three different sources that I can cite. Richest men to ever live. One site says that uh, Rockefeller is the second richest man. If you put him in today's currency, Rockefeller would be the second richest man to ever live. At almost 600, listen, this is a lot, my gosh, $600 billion. 
Just to give you an example, Rockefeller's net worth, if it was today's currency, would be worth about 10 times what the richest man on the planet today is. Forbes says that, that the richest person today is our Microsoft tycoon, right? Who's that? And that Gates is worth $68 billion. is a lot, a lot of money. Like, y'all are thinking to yourself right now, can't cap share a little bit with me because $68 billion is more than anybody can spend. But listen, you got, you got Rockefeller at $600-something billion, which is about 10 times more, and that's insane. And then there's these names. There's kings and there's people throughout history that are in the top 10 of the estimated net worth if you put it in today's coin. And then there's Solomon. Ah! I always knew he was rich. I've joked about it before. If y'all have heard me preach on Solomon, that he would have been like Scrooge McDuck for the people that grew up with ducktails. Every day we're out. And, and that joker was swimming through the gold. Now, the Bible says that he had 25 tons. Yeah, 50,000 pounds of gold was his allotment every year for 40 years. My gosh, that's a billion dollars every year. And that's just gold. And that wasn't nearly even, it couldn't even, that was just, that was just his side pocket change. The estimation is between 2.1, listen to me, and $2.7 trillion. I said trillion for one dude. Let me explain to you why that's a big deal. Because some of y'all don't think it is yet. A billion is so much. It's a million a thousand times. But a trillion is a million a million times. Everybody in here is going, my gosh, if I could just get a million. Yeah. And he was like, bump that, I'm going two million times one million plus some. The gross domestic product, meaning all the money that comes out of countries for an entire year. Gross domestic product. The United States is so much more than everybody else in, in the world. It's $17.5 trillion per year. Number two is China at about $11 trillion. Number three is Japan. Number four is Germany. And then nobody else does more than Solomon. Great freaking Britain, y'all. For reals. The whole stinking Great Britain. Less than Solomon. Can y'all get this picture of how much this dude had? Countries. As a matter of fact, this survey, the study that I did said he could buy. Now, listen, I'm not talking about gross domestic product, how much they do per year. I'm talking about how much they just all together. He could buy all but 10% of the countries in the world. Like, drop it, just bam. Coins, got them. Let me have your country. That's a rich dude. And over his life, this was sort of, this was sort of the map. And I'm going to do it quick, but I, I need y'all to get this because I want you to gather in this information because I don't want it to feel like I'm throwing rocks at Solomon at all today. I believe that Solomon was extremely sincere when he made this prayer. And I know that God saw that because it says that he did. When he was 53 years old, he wrote Psalms, Song of Solomon and Proverbs approximately, excuse me, that age. At that time, it appears that he was still walking with the Lord. And it also appears that he only had a few wives at that time which was not unusual in the custom of that day. It was not unusual to have a few wives in the custom of that day. But he did not have his thousand women, like 1 Kings 11 says that he ended up having. About 60 years old, the queen of Sheba comes, and we've seen these stories throughout of how amazed the people were of his wisdom. 
Then the queen of Sheba comes in who was extremely powerful and everybody was intimidated by her and she comes in and Solomon answers all of her questions and then rebuttals her with everything and then some to the point that she was so impressed that she gave him billions of dollars in gifts and said, I want to have friendships with you. No one did that. Like it's mind-blowing to read the stories of Solomon. He had no enemies, y'all. Up till this point in his life, he had zero enemies. He was that dude. He accomplished so much more than any other king in the history of Israel. He built the temple, which is in itself a whole message that's fascinating of what a great feat that was. Everybody wanted to be boys with Solomon until, until, until. 1 Kings 11 rolls around. And the Bible says that he took a thousand women. Now, let me just stop right here. I ain't going to hit on this long, but I just got to. I love my wife, and she's truly a gift in my life, y'all. And I'm not being funny. And I'm going to do a relationship message next week that the Lord gave me. And I want all of y'all to come because I believe it will really change your life. And I'm excited about it. But whew. one woman's a lot. Now, one man's a lot. One man's a lot. Don't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not going there. But let me just say, goodness gracious, y'all. Come on, somebody. So I'm not sure about this wisest man, God, because dude took a thousand. Hmm. I don't care how many servants you got. You got a thousand ladies talking junk. Y'all seen that sister wives show, right? Dumb. He's got five drama going on or whatever it is, stupid show. Whatever that thing's going on. He had a thousand. How does that even work? 721. Come see me. What? What does that even mean? Like, they're so crazy. So crazy. But this is the sad part. That, that part's crazy, and I can't put my mind around it, but this is the, the really sad part. Is 1 Kings 11 says, when Solomon was old. Now, uh, this is about between 53 and 60. He started accumulating his wives. This is about the age of 63 years old. Remember, at 30, he started really strong. And about the age of 63, it says, when Solomon was old, because in that day, that was getting to the point of your life expectancy. You were, you, were, you were waning in your years big time. And it says that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord, his God, as was the heart of David, his father. David had multiple wives. David certainly did not have 1,000. David did not, I mean, it's not even... David wasn't in the top 10 of the richest people to ever live. And I don't think he was even close. He would have had a lot, y'all. He would have been in the low hundreds of billions of dollars. And today he would probably be the richest man on the planet. But in comparison, David was nothing compared to this man. Here's what I believe happened. And this is only my opinion. I do believe this is from the Bible. But this is what I believe happened is at some point... And we don't know what that some point actually is because the Bible does not specifically say it was at this day. <clears throat> because in actuality, and some of y'all will know what I'm talking about in the room, it's not an absolute one day. If there was a one day thing that we could look at our lives and say it was that day that I fell away, then we would go back and say, no more. I'm putting my flag in the ground and saying this ain't happening anymore. I'm turning today. But it's that slow turn from God's purpose and will for my life that it's about him. It's always been about him to God, you, you, you're about me. You're to accomplish my will. And, and, and if anybody ever had a right to feel like he was a God, 
It was him. Because on the planet at the time, he was worshipped as a god. People that saw him would have worshipped him like a god. People especially that didn't know the Lord, which are these people. He began to worship Moloch, who was the god that sacrificed babies. The people would sacrifice babies as a sacrifice to their God, believing that he would bring them blessing if they would sacrifice their firstborn. What person in their right mind would ever even think that that's a good idea? But there's things in my life that I can look back on and tell y'all, what, how was I in my right mind when I began to do fill in the blank? And I've certainly not sacrificed a firstborn. But I can't look at the story of Solomon and not understand where he's been. Because I've accomplished nothing compared to this cat. Because we put all of our weight on what we've done and not who he is in us. And if the only thing that matters in life is what we accomplish, well, then we may be in trouble because what if we do accomplish it all? That's why Ecclesiastes is such a sad but a book in the Bible that we should absolutely read because we see a man about 67 years old that's crying out going, look what I've done. I've accomplished all this, but nothing under the sun even matters. And I believe in my heart that Solomon turned back to God at the very end of his life. But this was a man that was aching. And this is what we say, y'all. We see these Hollywood stars and we say, how do these people have anything to cry about? Look at all that they have. But they're empty. Because... It doesn't matter how much you have. It matters who has you. And at that point in his life, he had gone so cold and so hard. His wives didn't make him do it just like the devils didn't make him do it. You decide in your own heart what you'll let in, and that is what you are. And at this point in his life, he had began to listen and to dabble and to play, and his heart was so cold. And some of you in the room feel this tension that I've felt in my life. I know God's with me but I don't feel God. It feels cold and dark and I hate this and I don't know where to turn. You can accomplish more than you could ever imagine and die defeated if your heart doesn't belong to God. Y'all, Jesus is having this conversation in Mark chapter 8 with his disciples and he's going back and forth. He's, he's been up to Caesarea Philippi and Peter's declared, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And then Jesus said, I'm going to face some sufferings and it's going to be bad. And Jesus looks at Peter, who had just declared this, and said, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced in my heart that when Jesus said this, he had to be thinking about Solomon. Because no one's ever profited the whole world quite like a man worth two and a half trillion dollars. Are y'all with me? Jesus said, in Matthew, or excuse me, in Mark chapter 8, he says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Jesus said right before this, you've got to take up your cross daily and follow him, that it's always about him, that it's not about what you accomplish, it's about him in you. And, and that every day that I believe that it's about me, and every day that I look at God and say, Why aren't you doing this for me? What I'm actually doing is removing the love relationship with God. And I'm, I'm separating the gap between me and the Lord. He never moves. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And our loving God doesn't look at you and say, what an idiot you are. But he loves you enough to let you make the decision. And we can have good intentions. And we can even have good motivations. And find ourselves slowly leaking away from God. And this is, this is what separates the difference between David and Solomon. 
and how we can go from defeated to undefeated. I'm not going to read a lot on David because we could do a whole sermon series on him and not have time to get through it all. But we know that David did not start strong. David did not grow up in, in the house of David like Solomon did in this castle. He grew up as a shepherd boy. But David had this unique belief in God where he would go fight the giant. And he would be anointed to be king, listen to this, and would continue to be a shepherd not believing just because I've been called and set apart doesn't mean that I'm too good to go back in the field. And so that was a unique thing about his heart. And then we see the accomplishments. He was maybe the greatest warrior in the history of Israel. They said Saul killed thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. His ten thousands. His, he, he was known as a, an unbelievable warrior king. And yet, David screwed up big time. David began to accomplish things. David was unbelievable. But David saw this girl bathing one day and said, yep. I like what I see. I need y'all to know that this is super important, and I've hit on this before, but I'm going to hit on it right this second. It's not the thought that gets you in trouble. It's the thought that doesn't come and go. It's the thought that stays. It's the thought that doesn't go, oh, my gosh, I don't need to look at that. I got my wife downstairs. That's my boy. Uriah was his boy. That's my boy's wife who I've sent to war. I can't keep looking at her, and I doggone sure can't call for her to come up because she would. You're the king. And he does it, and he sins deeply, and he, and he has an affair. He commits adultery. Let me just use the biblical word with, with Bathsheba. They, have, they get pregnant. He does everything he can to try to set it up where Uriah will have sex with her when he brings her home, and she doesn't because he honors his commitment. And because he's got to cover it, because that's what we do with sin, he sends Uriah to the front line, and Uriah is killed. And when he finds out, he feels relief until Nathan, the prophet of God, comes. And when Nathan comes, he gives him this, this, this picture of what, what the sin looked like before he told him it was about him. And David said, Justice, you, you can't let that happen. And Nathan says, well, this was about you. And this is why I love the Psalms. Because the Psalms are not when David was running good. And the Psalms were not when David was running bad. The Psalms are all of it. And in Psalm 51, one of the most famous passages created me a clean heart. At the header of Psalm 51, it says David's response to his sin with Bathsheba. Now, the difference between Solomon and David was we don't have any pictures of Solomon doing nasty, bad, horrible things like we would call David. We have no pictures of that. We have no pictures of that. Certainly, we have big pictures of a thousand and we think, what's wrong with that cat? But we don't have any pictures of something like this where he had someone killed and put on the front line. But it wasn't about the bad things that he had done, it was about his heart. Look what it says in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquities. Those internal sins, that means bent. The sins of the Father and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions would just mean sin on the outward stuff, and my sin is ever before me. I know all about it. And some of you walked in here, and you know what that verse means because you're disgusted by what you've had, by what you've been, and you say, God, help me, help me. I Wash me clean against you, and you only have I sinned. Like, can you just hear the differences? I'm sorry I got caught 
versus a deep mourning. He was not saying this to people. He was not saying this to get notoriety because there's been times in my life where I've apologized, but I wanted people to see how apologetic I was. This man was, was mourning in his own heart because he realized what he had done against God because it was all about his heart. And I've done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Since I've been born, I was a sinner. He said, behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being in my heart, and you teach me wisdom in the secret of my heart. Purge me now. This is where it gets good. There's a whole message right there about the hyssop. Do y'all remember it? And the sponge. He says, purge me with hyssop, that cleaning stick that is so disgusting in picture but amazing with what God does to our hearts because right here is a lot dirtier than after I use the bathroom, if y'all are with me. And I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. I love this, I love this line, y'all. And let the bones that you have broken rejoice because he was a shepherd and he knew why bones had to be broken in a sheep. It wasn't because they hated the sheep. It was to bring them back to the fold to protect them and to show them the path. And he's saying, I know that you're going to have to clip my wings a little bit, but let those rejoice because I know that you're with me. I know that, that, that there's consequences for sin, but I know you're always bringing me home and back. It's, it's never been out of hate. It's never been because he hates you. He loves you. And he says, let them rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And then I love this. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Not the joy of what I've accomplished. Y'all listen. Not the joy of how great my name is to the world. Not the joy of being good, but the joy of your salvation and uphold within me a willing spirit. And so my prayer should not be, God, help me accomplish great things, but help me uphold a willing spirit and restore unto me the joy of that salvation that you purchased, that it was yours, that it was never mine to purchase. It was mine to receive because you bought me with a price and the price of your purchase was your blood on the cross. Y'all, when we trust Jesus as Savior, we're no longer our own. But everything in this world will try to buy you away. We'll try to steal your heart's joy away. We'll try to lead you to believe that if you're not getting certain things, that you're not good enough. And God just wants your whole heart. I believe that God will bless you to the point to accomplish his mission in you. And there's no telling how great that is. But that's never the point. He's the point. And whenever we lead ourselves down paths even if they look good if it's not God it's not good y'all look at this I believe that your failure is not the thing that sets you back sustained success is the most difficult thing for us to overcome because it's hard for us to continue to believe that we need the Lord it's hard for us to continue to believe if we've had successes in our lives, if we've been blessed in our lives, that we still need the Lord. And there's some of y'all in the room that, like me, you can look at yourselves and you can think, it wasn't when I failed that I walked away from the Lord. 
for a season. It was when things were really going good. It was when I was starting to get what I hoped I could accomplish. It was when, it was when the stocks were going up. Because I stopped believing that I desperately needed God. I stopped believing that it was only through Jesus that I had hope in this world. I started believing that the trophy was what made a difference in my life. And y'all, I'm all about trophies and I'm all about winning, but I am much more about Jesus. And if we accomplish everything that we set out to accomplish and we don't do it under God, this country says one nation under God. And that is hilarious that we quote that because we no more want to be under God than anything else in our lives. We want God to come with us and hopefully do it for us and make us look good and then keep blessing us. That's what we hope. He will do all of those things and then some, but we've got to be under him. And it's not until this is the posture of our lives. And I'm not telling you that we should be on our knees at our jobs, making a scene, making everything, hitting people in the head with Bibles, telling them how bad they are. I'm not, this, that's, not, that's not a posture. That's pride. The posture of this is, God, you say, and I'll go. You say, and I'll do. You do it, and I'm coming with you. I don't have to see the end result. I believe you. And, and, and most of us would say that we believe God, but in actuality, we've got to see the proof. I don't have to see the proof. I believe him. And I know the proof's on the way. He's the pudding. We don't need the proof in the pudding, y'all. Faith is not a piece of the pie. It's the whole pie. And if we try to put stipulations on our God telling him what it's going to look like, we'll find ourselves at the end of our lives looking back saying, how did I get this way? I said that I was with you, God. I did a daily devotion with you, God. How did I get this way? And we'll be defeated in our lives wondering how it ever got to this point. Y'all, everything is after your heart. And it seeps out like a slow leak. It's not a blowout like a tire getting a knife put in it. It's just the cap being put off. That slowly leaks out until you look back on your life and you say, I've been flat. I wonder how long I've been flat. The Holy Spirit has to fill me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And if the only thing that I judge myself on, listen to this, is what I've accomplished, then God help me. Because my Bible says, and I believe this is your Bible too, that he'll do exceedingly and abundantly more than I can even think. So instead of trying to tell God what it is, I'm just going to fall under him and say, you do it, I'm going. If you say go, I'll go. If it's completely against, y'all, I want to be the pastor at this church till I retire. And I believe that's God's call on my life. But I want you to hear this. If God says go tomorrow, I'm packing up. I don't believe that's his plan, but I'm packing up. We call him the U-Haul. We're packing up and we're going wherever he says go because I'd rather go with God than do it on my own. And I'll never do that if I'm always telling God what it's going to be. And if my, if my intimacy with God and the times that I pray with God is always telling him what I need from him and it's never how great he is, what a wonderful name he has, then I don't have intimacy with God. I have a genie in a bottle. So this is what I come, came excuse me, to tell you today. You don't have to be defeated anymore. You don't. But to go from defeated to undefeated, he's got to have 
your heart. Y'all, some of y'all have accomplished so much more than I can even imagine. Some of y'all have earthly things that are so much greater than, than my life. But there's people in here that we look at and we say, God, help them. God bless those people. And they got one thing that I don't have sometimes, and that's an intimacy with the Lord. Some of the most blessed times that I've had in my life are my 10 trips to Nicaragua. Because in the barrios, in those places where they got metal roofs and they got plastic, black plastic on their walls, and you just say, God help them, there's this joy about them, right? And you look at them and say, and this is what we do in America. God, help them have what we have. What do we think when we say that? Do we think a house and a car, or do we think the Lord Jesus? Peter looked at people who were crippled and said, silver and gold I don't have, but in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. I'm telling y'all today, I don't know what you have, but in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. Because you can have something far greater than possessions. And what is it? profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul and so I'm telling some of y'all today that you need to say I'm tired of trying to be enough and this anxiety is overwhelming me and I'm ready to stand up and walk with Jesus I'm ready for him to be all of my life it will never be my spouse who I'm so grateful for what a blessing from God but she is beside me and God is above me will you bow your heads and close your eyes I believe there's people in the room that are moved by the Lord, and I want you to have a, a chance to move. And so if you feel like you've never truly listened to me, this is for you. You've never truly given your heart and life to Jesus. I don't care if you've been in church your whole life or if today's your first time. God is looking for your heart. He wants a love relationship with you. And if you've never truly given your heart to Jesus, don't you worry about your neighbor because that is your heart worrying about things that don't matter. I want you to worry about God right in this moment. And I want you to say this. I may not get silver and gold, and I may not be important, but in the name of Jesus, I'm ready to stand up and walk. I want to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Come on, there's people in this room. I want you to stand up and say, that's me. Right in this moment, I want you to stand up and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm standing up and walking. I will follow Christ. I will follow Jesus Christ. Come on. If that's you in this room, don't you let anything hold you back. You say, that's me. That is me in this moment. I'm standing up with Jesus. I'm standing up with Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I'm standing up and walking. I receive Christ as my Savior. Is that you? Is that you? Praise God. I believe that the vast majority of people in this room are saved. I also believe that the vast majority of people in this room, this message was for you. You have felt like air was seeping out. You felt empty. God's plan for your life is not to constantly remain full. God's plan for your life is to daily fill you up. And if you've remained empty, if you've remained full of anxiety, if you've remained hopeless, that is not God's plan for your life. He will fill you daily and plans to pour you out to show the world he's the way. If you need a filling from the Holy Spirit, if you need God to restore unto you the joy of your salvation, you're saved, but you're ready to say, I feel what Solomon felt. I may not be worth $2 trillion, but I certainly feel what he felt. I've seen my heart fade away from God. I'm not asking you to stand. I'll just throw your hand up and put it back down. Pastor, pray for me. Pray, pray for me. Thank you. All over the room. God, you see hands all over the room. My prayer over every person, lots of hands over every person is restore unto them and unto us the joy of our salvation. We love you, Jesus. What a wonderful name. What a wonderful name you are. We love you, and we lift up our praise because you're worthy.
Thank you for wanting a love relationship with us. And it's in Jesus' name that we declare you're, you're greater. Amen. Will y'all stand and sing?